Second Kings chapter eight tonight. Second Kings chapter eight. There's a film called Pollyanna. <clears throat> Most of you have seen it at some point. Uh, it's an old film. And <clears throat> Pollyanna is an orphan, and she's sent to live with her aunt, who is a church-going, Bible-believing woman. And her aunt is mean as uh, all get-up, but <clears throat> she has a lot of money, and she controls the town, including the preacher. Right? And so she tells the preacher basically what to preach, and he goes out and he gets his sermons ready, and he comes in, and he preaches them. Well, Pollyanna meets the preacher one day in the woods, and he is out there, and he is preaching up a storm, uh, and he is... Uh, effectively practicing how to roast the people uh, on the a, on a following Sunday morning in accordance with the wishes uh, of his benefactor. And, um, <clears throat> but Pollyanna comes along and he says that her dad used to be a pastor too, but he only preached on the happy texts. And that if the preacher would just preach on the happy texts, that everybody would be a lot happier. Right? And so he does. Very annoying to, the, to, to his benefactors, uh, but he does, and everybody is a lot happier. Now, the only problem with preaching on the happy text of Scripture is this. You get a skewed picture of who God is. The text we're going to look at tonight is by cert, certainly by no means uh, could we put that in Pollyanna's system. wouldn't work for us. Right? But it's important that we actually see this, because remember, what we're looking for is we're looking to know who this God we serve is, and how he deals with his children. Because the Bible says this, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That when we actually look to the Lord for who he really is, and we look at him as he really is, then we have to know how he's going to deal with us. Do you know that God loves you? And God has only good plans for you. But do you know that you can take and you can force God to do things in your life that he didn't want to do? And he will do them too. Do you know that our God keeps his promises? If he promises something good to you, he's going to do it. You can be absolutely certain. You don't have to question it or doubt it or wonder about it. He's going to. And if he promises you that he will do something, if you do something, you can expect him to do that too, because that's just who he is. And he is the God that doesn't lie. He is faithful. And he is the God that, that does exactly what he said he's going to do. Now, uh, we've been looking at the nation of Israel, and we're coming to the end of our look at the nation of Israel. Now, we still have a few chapters to go. And the reason we're coming to the end of our look at this northern kingdom is because it's going to get wiped out now. It's going to get wiped And the reason it's going to get wiped out is because God warned them, warned them, and 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 they didn't heed the warning. You and I need to heed the warnings of the Word of God. God knows best. God knows what he's talking about. And we can make all the excuses in the world that we like. When God tells us to do something, we need to do it. What in your life, what area of your life are you looking at what God tells you to do and you're fighting with it and wrestling with it and saying, no, not doing that. That is so dangerous in your life. That is so dangerous for you to take and do that in your life. And when God gives you the negatives, remember that the Old Testament is written for <clears throat> our admonition, for our encouragement to build faith in us. That's what the New Testament tells us. It's written for us. <clears throat> and he wants you to see these things and to take and to understand uh, how he deals with his people. All right, having said all of that, let's look at uh, 2 Kings chapter 8. 
Second Kings chapter eight. Let's read from the beginning of the chapter. We're just going to briefly mention the first story. It's interesting. It just shows God omniscience and God, God, all that God knows, right? Uh, then spake Elisha unto the woman whose son he had restored in life, saying, Arise, and go thou and thine household, and sojourn whithersoever thou canst sojourn. For the Lord hath called for a famine, and it shall also come upon the land seven years. So God's going to uh, bring a famine on Israel for seven years. Now remember... Uh, a famine is absolute devastation to an agricultural country. It's not like for us where, you know, we might be removed somewhat from a famine. No, no, no. These people are going to, everybody's going to experience it. Uh, it's going to be real. It's going, and <clears throat> Elisha is telling the Shunammite woman, he's saying to her, listen, you need to go and sojourn somewhere else because it's going to be rough here for seven years. And so she does, right? And, and the woman arose and did after the saying of the man of God. And she went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. And it came to pass at the seven years' end that the woman returned out of the land of the Philistines and she went forth to cry unto the king for her house and for her land. And the king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me, I pray thee, all the great things that Elisha had done. Now listen, isn't this kind of coincidental? Here's this woman coming to ask for her land and her property back after being away for seven years. And just as she happens to arrive at the palace to ask, Gehazi is in there, uh, and the king is asking him <clears throat> stories about all that, that, that happened, right? Uh, and it came to pass, as he was telling the king how he had restored a dead body to life, that, behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life cried unto the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman, and this is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, as she told him, so the king appointed her unto her a certain officer, saying, Restore all that was hers and all the fruits of the field since the day that she left the land, even until now. Right, And that's just... Uh, this, this wonderful story of God's provision and God's protection uh, for someone that was blessed. And she had already blessed Elisha. And God was blessing her and taking care of her. And she got restored. He arranges it so that it all comes into place just at the right moment. You know, God's able to do that in your life too. You know, the king wouldn't, would normally have been no <clears throat> friend to this woman. But because of the story he's been told at the time, he is. And uh, as she comes in and he hears her back all her land and gives her back all of her land and, and all of those things just, just work out wonderfully. And there are some wonderful texts of comfort and strength in the Bible. The next part's not so comforting, though. Verse 7, Elisha came to Damascus and Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, was sick and was told to him, saying, The man of God is come hither. And the king said unto Haziel, Take a present in thine hand, and go meet the man of God, and inquire of the Lord by him, saying, Shall I recover of this disease? All right, so uh, Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, at this time, <clears throat> he's desperate, he's sick, and he wants to know if he's going to get better, better. So he's willing to even go and ask Elisha. I mean, he's seen some of the power of Elisha. He's seen Elisha blind his soldiers and lead them down into Samaria. Uh, he's seen what Elisha can do. So he's, he's asking uh, Elisha, to, uh, his, his servant, Haziel, his first his, his first in command to, to go and ask uh, uh, if he's going to make it, if he's going to survive, right? And so uh, he sends to ask him. 
And the king said unto Hazael, take a present in, sorry, verse 9. So Hazael went to meet him and took a present with him, uh, even of every good thing in Damascus, 40 camels burden, uh, and came and stood before him and said, uh, thy son Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, hath sent me to thee, shall I recover of this disease? Now, 40 camels burden was a huge amount. I mean, I mean, camels were the beasts of burden of those days. I mean, uh, they, they, they weren't carrying just a little basket full. Forty camels burden was a huge amount. He sent him a lot. He was willing to pay a lot. He was willing to give a lot. And you're saying just to find out. Well, no, not simply to find out. He was hoping to encourage the, um, uh, the right outcome. He was hoping uh, that uh, this would almost bribe God. See, Ben-Hadad's a pagan. He doesn't believe in God. He doesn't know God. Uh, and so he's sending a gift hoping to kind of somehow curry favor with Elisha because uh, Elisha's got uh, sway with God and he's going to give him a good answer, give him, give him a right answer. Do you realize you can't do that with God? Uh, and that, by the way, in, in our own country, aren't there so many people that are trying to curry favor with God by, uh, by giving gifts, by doing novenas, by doing all these things? That's exactly what they're trying to do. Uh, and it's the same paganism uh, as you find here, uh, except they're not paying as much. Uh, as this poor man <clears throat> was paying for. Uh, so he sent him all this money. Now, by, by the way, the Bible doesn't tell us whether or not Elisha took the gift. Right? Uh, we did find out that uh, in, in, in chapter 5, when, um, <clears throat> when Naaman came to him, he refused the gift. And that's why Gehazi, remember, picked up his leprosy, because he took, the, he took a gift, uh, but at that stage he didn't. He, he, uh, Elisha may have taken the gift, and remember, he was in charge of the, uh, of the schools of the prophets. He may have used it that way. It doesn't say, right? We don't know. It really doesn't matter to us uh, whether he did or not at this point. Verse 10, And Elisha said unto him, Go say unto him, Thou mayest certainly recover. Howbeit, the Lord hath showed me that he shall surely die. Right? Now, this is an interesting text. And if you look at this, it almost looks like Elisha uh, is selling, sending the guy uh, to tell a lie. That's not what's happening. Right? But we'll kind of understand that. Uh, we'll read the rest of the story, and then we'll understand that <clears throat> better. And he settled his countenance steadfastly until he was ashamed, and the man of God wept. And Hezekiah said, Why weepeth my Lord? And he answered, Because I know the evil that thou wilt do unto the children of Israel. Their strongholds wilt thou set on fire, their young men wilt thou slay with the sword, and will dash their children and rip up their women with child. Now, verse 12 is a horrible picture of what's actually going to happen to Israel. It's a horrible picture. And Elisha uh, looks at Haziel, and it's as though he reads his mind. But he's not reading his mind. God is telling him what's happening. Do you know that God knows everything that's in the heart of Haziel? And he knows everything that's in your heart and my heart, too. We tend, we tend to feel. We know better, but we tend to feel. If it's just in my head, nobody knows that I'm fine. As long as I don't say it, as long as I don't get it out in the open, I'm going to be fine. But you know, that's not true. That is not true. Whatever goes on in your head, God sees. Whatever you think God sees, he knows. He can read your mind. And it's not like God is kind <clears> of... <throat> has to focus on you to read your mind and so he forgets about everybody else. Now, God's focused on all of us all at the same time. He knows every thought that's going on in your mind. Do you realize you're accountable to God for the thoughts of your head? 
Those are the, now, look, they don't affect us, humanly speaking, very often until they actually work their way out, until we actually do them. But remember, sin is always born in the heart, but God sees the sin. And if, if, if you and I would get to the place where we dealt with sin in our thought life as sin, knowing that God sees it, you know, it would really help, really help us. But, <clears throat> but Elijah is reading Haziel's mind here. He's looking and he's reading everything that's going on in his mind. And <clears throat> he tells him what's going to happen. He tells him what he's going to be responsible for. And he's right. We'll look at some of the verses that show he was right. And Haziel said, but, <clears throat> but what does I serve in a dog that he should do this great thing? I, now, you know what happens? Somebody confronts you with what's going on in your head. Normally you don't say, oh, <laughs> how'd you know that? You're right on. <clears throat> People don't do that normally, do they? Somebody confronts you with what's going on in your head, you're kind of in shock. And you're reacting and you're defending yourself. Uh, and he's saying, but what is thy servant, a dog, that he should do this great thing? And Elisha answered, the Lord hath showed me that thou shalt be king over Syria. So he departed from Elisha and came to his master, who said unto him, what saith Elisha to thee? And he answered, he told me that thou shouldst surely recover. And it came to pass on the morrow that he took a thick cloth and dipped it in water and spread it on his face so that he died, and Haziel reigned in his stead. <clears throat> so he sent to ask Elisha, was he going to die of his sickness? And Elisha said no. What he didn't say was, but you are going to die of Haziel. He's going to murder you. He didn't actually tell him that. Elisha didn't actually send uh, Haziel to tell a lie. He sent Haziel uh, <coughs> To not give him, perhaps, all the truth. It would have been too hard to take. But we're going to look at it, and we're going to see how all this works out. So let's pray first. Father, would you bless us tonight, Lord, as we look at your word. Help us, Lord. Uh, put your hand on me, Lord. Uh, would you help us that we might see clearly from your word, your truth, who you are, and we might be helped to walk with you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> This, this passage is kind of interesting, right? It's interesting for, for this reason, first of all. You see, he's anointing uh, Haziel to be king, but another prophet, his predecessor, Elijah, had already been anointed to do this job. Keep your fingers up. We're going to have to look back and forth in our Bibles a bit, uh, a bit tonight. Look at 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings 19. Just back a short bit in your Bible. 1 Kings chapter 19. <clears throat> and you remember 1 Kings chapter 19 is that <clears throat> a wonderful passage straight after the, uh, the, the, the contest on Mount Carmel. And in 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah, go, Elijah hit the predecessor, goes on the run uh, from Jezebel because she threatens to kill him. And God deals with him very tenderly and very carefully. Right? And it comes down to this <clears throat> at the end of the chapter. God tells him, I've got, still got 7,000. You think I've got nobody, but I've still got uh, 7,000 left. Uh, look at verse 15. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on the way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. You know, Elijah, Elijah never did that. Elisha's doing it now. Uh, um, 
Verse 16, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. Now that's going to happen uh, immediately after this in chapter 9 uh, of 2 Kings. But he's to anoint Jehu, uh, the son of Nimshi, uh, to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Mahola, shalt thou anoint to be a prophet in thy room. Well, Elisha did get anointed, and, and that's actually happened. Now you say to yourself, hang on a minute. I thought Elijah was a good guy. I thought Elijah was one of those guys that actually did uh, what he said he would do. And it's true that he was. He wasn't perfect, uh, but it's true that he was a man that did what he said uh, to do. So how come he didn't actually get around to doing this, and how come this hasn't happened yet? Well, I'll tell you why. Uh, Because of 1 Kings chapter uh, 21. Now flick over there with me. Now, remember we're dealing with... um, We're dealing here with King Ahab. Now, is Ahab a good king or a bad king? He was the worst of the worst, wasn't he? He was was a bad guy. He was a bad dude. Uh, He was one of those characters that that just caused all kinds of uh, trouble. He was so wicked, the Bible says, there was none like him whom Jezebel, his wife, stirred up to do wickedly. So, I mean, he, he was a bad king. So we're dealing with a bad king. We're dealing with a rotten king. We're dealing with a rotten reign. Uh, we're dealing with somebody who just does their own thing over and over and over again. We could expect that God would exterminate Ahab and his kingdom because, I'll tell you, he was the worst of the worst. But you know the story of Naboth? There's a part in the story of Naboth that we sometimes forget. Now, uh, the story of Naboth, Naboth's vineyard is just uh, one of the, uh, the, the, the nastiest, sulliest stories you'll find in the Bible. Uh, the king wants Naboth's vineyard. Vineyard won't, uh, Naboth won't sell it because he says, uh, it's my inheritance from the Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm not selling it to you, king. And so Ahab goes home and turns his face into the wall, and he's crying on his pillow uh, when Jezebel comes in, and, and Jezebel is upset because, you know what, uh, why is the king crying? And she, she finds out why he's crying, and she says, leave it with me. I'll get you the vineyard. And so what she does is she writes a nasty letter. She has, she was a good letter writer, by the way. Uh, she writes another nasty letter. She writes a letter uh, to the men uh, of Naboth City, and she has them Uh, find falsely against Naboth and put him to death. And so she comes home and she tells Hubby, look, I got it for you. Go down and take it. It's yours now. He's dead. His lands have all been confiscated uh, and they've become yours. So you can down and get the vineyard. So he goes down to the vineyard, but he meets somebody in the vineyard that he hadn't expected to meet. He meets Elijah. And he comes into the vineyard uh, with Elijah. And and let's read there. We are in 1 Kings chapter 21, and we're looking at verse 27. In fact, let me just back up a little bit here. Verse 25, But there was none like Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel, his wife, stared up. And he did very abominably in following idols according to all things as, as did the Amorites before whom the Lord cast, before whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. And it came to pass when Ahab heard those words that he rent his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went softly. 
This is kind of a strange turn up for Ahab. Ahab wasn't much of a religious man at all, but when he heard what God was going to do to him, uh, he repented. Now, God's just told us he's the most wicked king that ever lived. He just did it all wrong. He did it all wrong on steroids. He just, he just liked doing wrong. And then he repented. Now, what would you do if you were God? You'd call them crocodile tears, wouldn't you? You'd say, listen, you, you, you just crying because you got caught. You'd say, listen, no more for you. I said, you, you, you've done it all wrong, and you've done everything you can do wrong at least twice, so you know what, there's no hope for you. But see what God does. Look at the next two verses. And, see what, and this tells you something of the heart of God that you need to know and understand. Because the enemy won't tell you this. The enemy will tell you the opposite. Look what it says in verse 20, uh, 28. And the word of the Lord came unto Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Seest thou how Ahab humbleth himself before me? Because he humbleth himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but in his son's days will I bring the evil upon his house. Do you know what happened? God looks down and he says, look, look at Ahab. He's as wicked as all get up, but, but look, he's repenting. He's wearing sackcloth and ashes. And, and I'm going to respond. I'm going to give him a reprieve. I'm not going to do it in his days. Now, you and I aren't like that, are we? We wouldn't, we wouldn't be as kind as that uh, when it came down to it, but our God is. Now, here's the point I want you to catch. When you do wrong, and you will, don't hide it. Don't pretend it didn't happen. Fess up to it. Say, Lord, I did wrong. Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, would you take the sin away? Would you wash me clean? You repent of your sin. And the Bible says that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But do, do you know that he can't cleanse you if you don't confess? He can't cleanse if you don't deal with it. If you maintain, if you justify yourself and tell him you got, you're okay, you're going to end up worse off than, than Ahab. Because God tells us he responds to repentance. In fact, God can't help himself, it looks like. When somebody genuinely repents, no matter what they've done, he responds to it. God responds. It's one of those things that God just absolutely loves to see in us. Repentance. Now, here's the thing you and I, you and I are proud. Do you know that about yourself? That you're proud. Listen, that's your sin nature again. You're proud and you're self-protective. We all are. We're proud and we're self-protective. And when we're confronted with our sin, we're very likely to try and, you know, put the other person off, uh, to put that person down. Uh, we're very all likely to put up a shield, a barrier, and say, no, 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 I'm not taking it in. No, no, I'm not listening to that. We're very likely to do that. And what happens is, God can't forgive that. You've got to own your sin. You've got to deal with your sin. Remember, Saul and David, those two guys uh, absolutely amazes me. You ask me who did more wickedly. Well, is it more wicked uh, to uh, go... <clears throat> To offer a sacrifice when it's not your place to offer a sacrifice or uh, to commit adultery and to kill a man. Well, in my mind, it's much, much more wicked to commit adultery and kill a man. 
Uh, is it more wicked for you to actually take and, and do what the Lord tells you to do uh, in a battle, but just save somebody alive? Well, you know what? I, I would think that could be construed as, uh, as compassion, as mercy. But no, no, you know, God didn't look at it like that. Uh, you know, <clears throat> Saul lost his kingdom. Now, did Saul lose his kingdom because of sin? Or did Saul lose his kingdom because he wouldn't repent of sin? We're not going to take the time tonight, but you know, 1 Samuel chapter 15 is a great picture of that. What you have is you have Samuel con consulting po uh, Saul, uh, confronting him with his sin and telling him, Lord, that, 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 that the Lord is not happy with what he's done. And you have Saul, uh, you know, fighting with him and wrestling with him and pleading with him and asking him, listen, go pray with me anyway. Come pray with me anyway. Come on. Listen, just listen for the people. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. By the way, when you're saying, I know, I know, I know. Like you really know, you really don't know, do you? When you're saying, I know, I know, I know, you're saying, listen, just, just keep, I don't, I don't want to look at this. Right? And um, uh, he's saying, I know, I know, but listen, just come pray with me. And he even pulls on Samuel's robe so that it tears. And Samuel says, the Lord has rent the kingdom from you in the same way. Now, why? Because he wouldn't repent. And David, David, listen, David got up to all kinds of the wrong things. He's the man after God's own heart. He's the beloved of God. See God's mercy and God's blessing in his life over and over and over again. What's the difference? Psalm 51's the difference. Psalm 32 is the difference. Where David takes his dirty laundry out before the Lord and says, Lord, I'm filthy, I'm dirty, but listen, you can cleanse me. Lord, would you cleanse me? That's the difference. Do you know that if you and I will repent, we will find a God who can't help but respond to it. If you and I will look at our sin, call it sin, and say, Lord, it's wrong. I shouldn't have done it. Lord, will you take it away? He will take it away. Because that's the kind of a God he is. But if you will justify your sin, if you will hold on to your sin, if you will do the no, no, no uh, a bit, you, you know what? God can't take it away. And oftentimes, believers have this barrier between them and the Lord. Because they won't repent of stuff. They won't deal with stuff. Here we have Ahab. If we want prime example of wickedness in the Bible, we're going to pretty quickly get to Ahab. Here we have Ahab. He puts on sackcloth and ashes and he, <clears throat> and he repents and he, he, he goes softly. And God says, Elijah, did you see him? He's repenting. I'm not going to do it in his lifetime now. I'm going to do it in his children. I'm going to spare him because he's repenting. Do you not think that you and I could know blessing in our lives if we would repent? Those things that grieve the heart of God, if we would repent of those things. And by the way, the Holy Spirit's well able to show you what it is. Right now, you might be wrestling with something, and you might be thinking, yeah, well, uh, something has come to your mind, and it's kind of it's, it's something you know is wrong in your life, and you're, you're wrestling with it. Stop wrestling with it. That's the Holy Spirit. Don't wrestle with him. You'll never win. Just repent. Deal with it. Get it out in the open. Get it right. Get it sorted out. You can know blessing in your life if you will, but you can't if you won't. It's as simple as that. <clears throat> you see, what happened, uh, you know, as, as, as far as uh, um, Ahab is concerned, is that God stayed it. So you know what? 
Elijah didn't appoint the successors yet because God had put a stay on it. Do you know that God does that? God puts a stay on things. God says, no, it's not going to happen. I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to take care of these. Uh, I'm going to look after you because of repentance. And so I think that's what happened. I don't think that um, we have Elijah disobeying God. I think Elijah did exactly what he was told, but God said, hold off. Hold off. We'll get to that later. This guy's repented. And you know what? Who knows what in your life you could avoid if you would repent. Simple, straightforward, getting honest with God, repenting. Do you know that every revival... that you, you read about, you'll find someone somewhere repenting, and that's what starts it off. You know, <clears throat> Maria Monson said that the Shantung revival started when two Chinese cooks got right with each other. They confessed sin. They, they dealt with sin. I mean, <clears throat> uh, if you read of the Korean revivals, um, so often what happened was uh, Jonathan Goforth's preaching would stir up sin. Somebody would repent and God would flood in. Do you know that God would do great things if we would repent, if we would deal with sin? He would kiss us and that's who he is. God's arm is not short that he can't touch us, that he can't help us. God's, God's strength is not less. God's desire is not less. But if you and I would just get things right with him. If you and I would just repent of things, it'd be amazing what God could do in our lives. And, and we so foolishly hold on to, 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 to the pride that says, no, I didn't. didn't get it wrong. I'm okay. I'm, I'm fine. I'm right. And we miss out on so much more because we hold on to the pride. Don't hold on to it. Repent. Deal with it before God. <clears throat> now, Haziel was going to wreak havoc in Israel. Uh, he is going to, he, I mean, <clears throat> uh, Elisha is right. When he looked in, him, in his face and he read his mind and he wept, Haziel is going to uh, <clears throat> reap havoc. Look at, look at some of the passages. 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 3. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Now remember, when you're talking about Israel, you're talking about the northern kingdom. When you're talking about Judah, you're talking about the southern kingdom at this point, right? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he delivered them into the hand of Haziel, king of Syria, and into the hands of Ben-Hadad, the son of Haziel, all their days. God delivered them into their hand. Now look at Amos chapter 1. Amos chapter 1 and verse 3 through 5. Now, I know I'm making your fingers move tonight, but that's good for you, right? It's good if you find your way around your Bible, right? Verse 3 of Amos chapter 1. Thus saith the Lord, For three transgressions of Damascus and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they have threshed Gilead and have uh, with threshing instruments of iron. But I will send a fire into the house of Hazio, which shall devour the palaces of Ben-Hadad. I will break also the bar of Damascus and cut off the inhabitant from the plain of Avon uh, and him that holdeth the scepter from the house of Edu. And the people of Syria shall go into captivity unto Kir, uh, said the Lord. Now, what's that talking about? Do you know that Haziel is 
wreaks havoc in Israel. He destroys it. He thrashes it with instruments of iron. And do you know what God does? God holds him accountable. God holds him accountable and God goes after him. And you say, how does that work? How does that work? Listen, God does that. What you've got here is God using a nation to chastise Israel. You've got God taking and using somebody to deal with them. You've got God putting them in the hands uh, of somebody who is certainly no friend of theirs. Uh, and then God taking issue with that person uh, for the way they treated Israel. Now, what does that tell you? That tells you this. God's in charge. You say, of what? He's in charge of everything. Everything. Everything that happens in your life, God's in charge of. God knows what's going on in your mind tonight. He knows what you're thinking. Uh, uh, God's in charge of the out, every outcome in your life. Now, if we would catch that, it would really help us. You see, here we have uh, <clears throat> Elisha anointing Haziel to be king and telling Haziel all the wickedness he's going to do because God's, as it were, whispering in Elisha's ear and telling him what Haziel's going to do because God knows exactly what's going to happen. And God's going to let it happen because he loves Israel and he's going to chasten them. And then we have God taking and dealing with Haziel. Nothing happens in your and my life without God being involved in it. Nothing. Nothing happens without his hand. Absolutely nothing. So what does that mean to me? That means there's only one person in this world I need to please. There's only one person in this world I need to walk with. There's only one person in this world I need to stay right with. Come back to our, <clears throat> to our point on repentance. Yeah, I need to keep short accounts with God. I don't need to let sin build up between me and him. I don't need to, need to do stuff that he's not happy with and, and hope I can get by with it. I, I don't need to test the boundaries with God and say, hey, you don't want to can I get by with this. I need to walk with him. Now, walking with him is not your list of rules. Walking with him is following his spirit. Let me ask you tonight, is there something the spirit of God has told you he doesn't want you doing? Is there? Is there something the Spirit of God has told you He does want you to do? Is there something going on there that the Spirit of God is speaking to you about? Something that the Spirit of God is bringing conviction? Because remember, He's at large in the world. <laughs> convincing the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And He's convincing believers, too, of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Is there something tonight the Spirit of God is saying to want you to deal with this? And you're looking at the situation and you're saying... <clears throat> No, 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 go away from me. I don't want to hear that. I don't, I, I, don't, I don't want that. Can't we do that? Haven't you done that? Whenever somebody touches off something in Scripture that you don't like, you kind of react because you you're not happy about it. Is there something like that in your life? What are you going to do with it? Are you going to fight God on it? Are you going to repent? See, God's in charge. He's in charge of all of it. He's in charge of all the outcomes. He's in charge of all the blessings. He's in charge of everything. You need to be right with him tonight. Are you right with him? Are things clear between you and him? They're not clear between you and him. You could make them clear tonight. You say, well, hang on a minute, Pastor. If I made things right with God, I'd have to go and tell people uh, <clears throat> what I did, and I'd have to get it sorted out and get it right. Yeah, you might. 
but you'd be right with God. You say, but you know what? If I told them what I did, <clears throat> they, they could get upset with me. Yeah, they might. But you'd be right with God. You'd say, but I'd lose face. People wouldn't think I was so good anymore. Yeah, probably true. Probably that's not, not a bad thing either because you know what? Truth is, you're not that good and neither am I. Uh, not a bad thing for us to get honest about that. <clears throat> but yeah, pe- people might not think you were as good as you look, but you'd be right with God. <clears throat> you say, but, 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 but I enjoy my sin. Okay. You enjoy, do you enjoy your sin enough to let it stand between you and God? That's a whole lot of fun. No, not really. That's a whole lot of short-sightedness. Because you know what? God's in charge of everything. God knows your heart. He's got it worked out. And he's in charge of everything. You can't get one by on God. Oh, you might get one by on everybody else, but you can't get one by on God. Now, here's the question for you and I. Are we going to do business with God and get serious about it? Now, you might be here tonight and you, you might say, with the honest, all the honesty you know, listen, as far as I know, things are right between me and God. And that's great. That's wonderful. That's the place to live. Enjoy. That's a lovely place to live. Right? Live, with, live in that place and stay in that place. And, you know, if you do get it wrong and you will, then get it right. But you might be here tonight and you might be saying, well, you know what? It's not all as clear as that. Get it right. You say, it's not as simple as that. Oh, it is. It's as simple as that. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It's as simple as that. Are there things that he will ask you to do later? Yeah, but listen, don't worry about that until later. You just do the confessing part right now and let God work in your heart and life uh, to deal with what needs to be dealt with. And when you deal with the stuff, you're going to know freedom and you're going to know his presence and you're going to know his power. I'm absolutely convinced that the children of God don't have a problem knowing what God wants them to do. The children of God have a problem with doing what God wants them to do. And because of that, so often, the child of God is wandering in the wilderness not knowing the presence and power of God. And you know what? I've never known of anyone who repented of sin and got right with God and said, I wish I'd never done that. I've never known that. The Spirit of God is leading you. Would you get right with God tonight? You say, I don't know if I have the power to do it. You don't. Lean on him. He has the power. I don't know if I can stay clean. You can't. Lean on him. He has the power. Depend upon him. Trust in him. He's not asking you to be Superman or Superwoman. He's asking you to walk with him and let him lead and work in your life. That's all he's asking. And if you let him, you will find he is faithful. He is faithful to you much more so than you'll ever be to him. The enemy, will, the enemy will, will, will press you with lies in a moment like this and tell you, no, don't do it. Don't do it. You've done it before. No point in you doing it again. Don't do it. You can never stay right. Don't do it. You lose face. Don't do it. Do it. Just do it. Just get things right between you and God and let the peace and the joy of God flow in your life. 
Because that's what you were made for. You weren't made to struggle through the world and drag yourself through it. You were made to walk with your God. The highest thing a human being can do. Walk with your God and enjoy his presence. Listen, whatever it is that stands between you and him tonight, let it go and trust him to take care of it. Let's stand for prayer. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to give you a few moments just between you and God. I'll have the piano play quietly, and you just talk to God. Father in heaven, we do thank you, Lord, for this night. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the word, Lord, that is so quick and sharp and clear. Now, Lord, we thank you for the story of Ahab. We thank you for the story of Haziel. We thank you for including all of it uh, in Scripture for us. And, Lord, we come to you tonight and we confess that we are weak and feeble people, Lord, every one of us, and that, Lord, apart from you, uh, we're not able. But all in you, Lord, your hand and your power can change everything. Now, Lord, I pray for that one tonight who is struggling with sin, blessed spirit of the living God, Would you give them courage and faith to forsake it and to confess it to those that it needs to be confessed to as well? And may there be a cleansing and a purifying and may there be a spiritual lifting in this room, Lord. And may lives be changed because of what's going to go on in these few minutes. 